we have a saying in New Zealand, which is, oh, yeah, nah. And what does that mean? It means when you ask me anything, like, hey, should we catch up or do you want to go to the concert on Saturday? And I say, oh, yeah, nah. Yeah, <laughs> no, nah, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, nah is kind of like, yeah, straddling that tightrope of both sides and not giving you a straight answer because I guess in reality, we never really know whether we're going to turn up, both mentally and physically. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Cleveland! Turn your speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Effing Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most final tap moments when nothing goes right and everything gets kind of weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller comedy writer in LA and lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Walendas. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and New Zealand indie rock heroes, The Chills, as well as being lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, The Vainglorious. Our guest today is New Zealand actor, author, and comedian Reese Darby, who stars in the HBO series Our Flag Means Death, and also played band manager Murray Hewitt on Flight of the Concords. We're going to talk to Reese about the time he was nearly murdered by a pack of wild children at a Christmas parade, how the BBC discovered Flight of the Concords at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and what it was like getting advice in that series from Crowded House's Neil Finn. So without further ado, let's go to the T-M-E-P. Show! It really puts perspective on things, though, doesn't it? Not yeah. too much. There's oh, too yeah, much perspective now. Alex, there are lines in movies that become so part of the popular culture that people may use them in everyday conversation without even knowing they came from a movie in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you some examples, and you tell me what movie they're from, okay? Okay, I got this. Okay, here it goes. I'm Batman. Uh, let's see. Batman? Obviously, that was an easy one, but they're <laughs> going to get harder. Number two, Luke, I am your father. Let's see. That would be Star Wars. Close. Steve Martin's Father of the Bride. Okay, number Wait, three. <laughs> what? We're going to need a bigger boat. Okay, that's uh, Jaws. No, Titanic. Duh. There's, oh, there's no what? place like home. That was, of course, Wizard of Oz. Home Alone 1 and 2. Jeez, Alex, have you ever seen a movie? <laughs> right, Alan. Anyways, my point is, very few movie scripts are good enough to contain lines that transcend the cinematic experience and become part of daily life. It's another reason why This Is Spinal Tap is so effing special, because there are multiple lines in the movie that have become part of the vernacular. Since you were so bad at my movie quiz, can you name <laughs> some of those? Yeah, I think I can get this one. Let's see. There's, of course, this goes to 11, none more black, uh, hello Cleveland. He died in a bizarre guardian accident. And the name of our show, of course, too much beep perspective that they say at the foot of Elvis's grave. Well, of course, you can't not mention the name of our show. That would be really stupid marketing. But anyways, you missed, I think, the most important line of all. There's a fine line between stupid and clever, and it's really the most important because it's a distinction that us in comedy always have to consider. Is something clever or is it merely stupid? Yeah. 
And our guest, Reese Darby, has really made a career out of straddling that line. And his characters like manager Murray Hewitt in Fight of the Concords, guide Nigel Billingsley in Jumanji, and Steed Bonnet in This Flag Means Death often are buffoons on the face of it, but really the comedy goes much deeper. Yeah, he's great. So in any case, let's get to our really clever conversation with Reese. But first, please, listeners, tell three friends that they must listen to Too Much Effing Perspective. Three different persons. Don't say the three same people because that will do us no good unless they use different IP addresses. That would be stupid. clear, (laughs) clever is to do three individuals who will really appreciate it. So we'll be right back with Reese, but first, a short break. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. And now a comedian who in 2013 climbed all the way to the tippy top of Mount Kilimanjaro, Sir Edmund Hiller Reese Darby, or just Reese Darby to his friends. Reese, what's up? Good to see you again. Hey, man. Good to see you. So I just want to start out by saying this is going to take place during the SAG WJ writer strike. So we have to stay away from Reese's many projects. TV and film. TV and film. Luckily, I'm multi-talented and I have (laughs) stage work to discuss, not to mention all my books and my wardrobe line. Anyway, I want to start off with how Reese and I met. I was always a big fan of Flight of the Concords, and so was my daughter, Sunny. And one day, we walked outside of our house in Los Angeles, and Sunny goes, Hey, Dad, there's Murray. (laughs) And I turn to the right, and I see you bouncing on a trampoline in the front yard of the house two doors down. You just moved in. Wow. And then I said hi, and that was how we became fast friends. And Alan, who is Murray for the uninitiated? We can't talk about it, but it's the Flight of the Concords. Murray was the band's manager. Yeah, I guess you could talk about it. I just can't. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> just not. So crazy. <laughs> and just so you know, because of Reese's very exotic accent, this will be the first podcast with subtitles. <laughs> right. <laughs> As you know, this is tangentially about another project that you have nothing to do with, so we can talk about it. It's called This is Spinal Tap. And in This is Spinal Tap, they have a line. They say, 
it's such a fine line between stupid and clever. Mm. Reese, you were in the military. If New Zealand, whatever they do there, can actually be considered a military. How dare you? <laughs> and your sergeant major said something very similar to you. He said, you're very silent, Darby. There's something about the look in your eyes. You're yep. either very smart or very stupid. Yeah. My whole life, I've been trying to, well, basically tightrope that line and have the audience or just the general populace of the world constantly in consideration as to which way I sway the most, genius <laughs> or complete idiot. It's a balancing act, even for myself, because mostly, to be honest, I think I'm just a fool. But then there's moments of clarity, like we all have, but moments where people say, oh, come on my podcast. I mean, I, I, you wouldn't want an idiot on there. So surely well. there's something in me. <laughs> but right, there's a funness in both categories. So I think it's a yes and. Yeah, we also tread that line. Yeah. Well, a prime example of this is back in 1996, you were hired to play a character named Mr. Blubby. Can you explain Mr. Blubby to our listeners? So this was a very short-lived confectionery drink that was actually jello. <laughs> you suck it through a store and it was like a fun idea. So they launched it and they had a character that went with it. So I dressed up as this character for the Christmas parade. And this is kind of like a big suit, um, like a, a friendly monster, I guess. And I'm walking along in this thing. We're giving out the free jello drinks and think the kids weren't really into it. <laughs> the adults certainly weren't into it. And I think I fell over at the end of the parade because the suit was so big around the feet. And then some people started kicking me and pushing me when I was on the ground. And that was a low <laughs> point in my life. As Kiwis do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you and I have something in common here. I peaked when I was from 11 to 13 years old. I was the newscaster on a Milwaukee TV show called You and I. And so I was a celebrity when I was a kid. Wow. And the high slash low point of my celebrity status was being in the Milwaukee Christmas parade. So I got to be in a convertible in like 20 below zero weather <laughs> and waving to people. I, I think that you knew you made it in 2010 when you were in the Fielding Santa Parade, right? That's right. Can you tell us about that? Because your dad what, got a little teary-eyed from that, didn't he? That, that was a real comeback parade for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially after the Mr. Blubby incident. This was obviously many years later, and I was in the parade now as myself. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to... To look at it from parade to parade, from dismal, monstrous, weird guy that was from another world that just got beaten up on the street, to finally finding who I really am. Or you could look at it as the audience accepting me for who I am, that weird freak from another world, but now celebrated. And so I sat in a convertible. It's always a convertible, right? <laughs> <laughs> like something from the 50s, a beautiful car. Right. And I think next to me, I had gorgeous women sitting next to me. I think it was the Miss Fielding. And then there was another one next to me. I don't know who that was. That might have been the runner up. Were they called Reese's Pieces? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, when you're near the end of the parade that you're doing really well, if you're at the beginning of the parade, it's like, who cares? Yeah. But if you're right up, like the next float was Santa, I think. Wow. So I'm- Santa's the headliner, of course. Of course. I mean, you're not going to beat the big man. But um, there I am, and I remember the announcement. So there's like a little tannoy system that's down down the street. By the way, Fielding, this is a tiny town in uh, New Zealand. That's saying something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Blink and you'll miss it. You know, one of those. But it's a gorgeous, beautiful little town. And my dad is from there. So he went back there to live there in his later life. He moved around a lot. That's another story. But dad got to see me in the parade. And he was very proud. And I think it was because I was sitting in the back of a cool car next to two hot chicks. But <laughs> over the tannoy, Mr. Reese Derby, of course, international comedian, uh, doing very well for himself there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then the funny thing was when you get to the end of the parade and you get all your cheering and your yahooing, and I remember getting out of the car. This time I wasn't beaten up. There was a few people wanting autographs and things. But then you've got the long walk from where the braid ends through the town to where you parked your car. And it's kind of like the procession is over, the theatre is over, and now we're back to real life. And people are like moving gates and things and um, the people are picking up rubbish. It's all over. Like literally as soon as it finishes, like, people are now clearing up and you're just sort of walking through it. I really love that aspect of life when the show is finished, everyone has to just return to their normal life and all of a sudden it's like a switch is gone and we're all equal again. I was this character that was revered in this fancy car and now I'm just another dude on the street just trying to find where I parked. Crazy. You'll always be Mr. Blubby to some people though. Yeah, well, now that you've brought that back up again, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Let me just say, I got these stories from Reese Darby's This Way to Spaceship. I actually read it. I didn't go cheap out and do an audiobook. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, because I thought you would be reading it and I wouldn't understand 50% of what you said. Like you said, equal just now, but you said equal. And I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> is equal? I don't even know. But I'm, again, this podcast will be subtitled, so no one will have a problem understanding you. You're the only one that has an issue with my accent. I've been living in this country so long and I've been on so many TV shows. Everyone understands me. I wish I could tell you about my audio voice work career. It's big. <laughs> Look it up, people. But we'll never know. Given that the strike is on, I know we can't talk about Murray Hewitt who's the band manager of Flight of the Concords in the HBO TV series. But I believe we can talk about Brian Nesbitt. Yes. Who has the same role mm-hmm. in the BBC radio series. And I got to say, I am new to that. And I have listened to a couple of episodes and I literally had tears in my eyes. Oh, great. I was laughing so hard. It was just unbelievable. I'm a former concert tour manager, and one of the bands I tour managed back in the days of my youth were your countrymen, The Chills, and Martin Phillips. Oh, wicked. Hence kind of the genesis of this series. I love The Chills. Yeah. I mean, Martin is an extraordinarily gifted songwriter, and his trials and tribulations have been 
well-documented, even in a documentary film. But I love the Brian Nesbitt character. You just absolutely nail it. And one of the things that I thought was so funny is that you have this lifeline to (laughs) Neil Finn from Crowded House, where you call up Neil as sort of your reluctant and somewhat befuddled mentor. And I just wondered, there had to be some Spinal Tap moments that came out of calling up Neil and having those conversations. Well, you know, that was a real stroke of genius on Brett and Jermaine's part to involve Neil in this mockumentary series that is the flight of the concords on bbc and it's great that you guys have finally found it and that you can access it for many years you couldn't and it was a huge deal for us to get and neil finn of course to be part of it how did you get neil but of course we're all kiwis and we all know each other and so it was a simple phone call and neil said oh yeah yeah sure (laughs) i'm in london actually uh because he was i think and so he came down and he did all his bits in one sitting in an actual Mm. sound studio This is going back many years now, guys. So we're looking at 2005, 2004, maybe when we did this. Jesus, 2023 now. So yeah, you can do the math. But he was fantastic. And obviously he knew the Concords and myself. Maybe he didn't even know who I was because this is going so far back. This was before. Yeah, he would have known my stand-up. Yeah, give myself some credit there. Uh, (laughs) But he was so gracious to lend us his time and you know he's a really funny guy and so we basically improvised this as we did the whole show but I'm just in the sound booth there doing my phone call over to him uh, and I think there was probably six phone calls if there's six episodes because I think we get hold of him every time and it's simple things like they're not facing the right way on stage or something and his wit is so dry and he's just like they've got to face the front brian and they've got to face the audience and the best part about the connection between our two characters was that i think we met at a wedding or something in new zealand yeah he can't really remember me but i've somehow got his number because everyone's got each other's numbers in new zealand and you know he really wants to get me off the phone every time (laughs) but he's still giving a bit of advice and I'm really sort of relying on the fact that I have this one guy that is a music icon that I can utilize in order to get the band to where I want them to be. And not to be a spoiler, so I won't say too much, but when the Flight of the Concord guys get an offer for a three-way sexual liaison yeah that's right and they turn it down and you tell them they have to engage with their fans yeah. <laughs> and, and you say i think neil and tim finn would have done it and so she said let me call neil to check oh that's awesome <laughs> so anyway people can tune in and by the way listeners all you got to do to find it is google the word concords c-o-n-c-h-o-r-d-s and bbc and it'll come right up you can find the six episode series it's absolutely delightful and Reese, what's your oldest son's name? My oldest son is Finn. So I don't think that's a coincidence, mm. is it? No, he's named after the Finn brothers. And which one, you might ask? Well, depends which one I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. 
We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Flight of the Concords obviously is a cousin to Spinal Tap. These are 100%. half fake, half real bands that actually are really good musicians. The Flight of the Concords. They have two albums, don't they? Or is it just one? I think they've got about three. Oh, okay. Or five. I think or they maybe might even, even more, yeah. Oh, my God. Well- On Sub Pop Records. That's right. They are? They're on Sub Pop? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So anyways- You can tell who did research here. Reece. Yeah. <laughs> are we called research? It's research. Yeah, there when you, you, you study go. me. Yeah. Yes. The history of how the Concords got together is really interesting. So you knew Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie and Britt from New Zealand. That's Britt. Brett, with one T though. But you guys uh-huh. got close at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, right? Yeah. So we knew of each other in New Zealand. Uh, I was a stand-up. They'd just become their musical duo. And I think we did one comedy festival in New Zealand together. And then it was 2003 where we really connected in Scotland for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. If you haven't heard of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, it's literally the biggest festival in the world for the arts. There's over 600 shows that perform, and it spans over a month. So you're getting like 28 shows. You might get two or three nights off, but every night your act is performing in front of, well, however many people you can get in there. Uh, But this particular year, I was there. So Flight of the Concords were there. The Naked Samoans were there as well. A sketch troupe. They are iconic. Out of our three groups, none of us had any cash. This is pretty classic for Kiwis. And so we're helping each other out. We couldn't afford technicians to run our shows. We could only afford a certain amount of flyers via photocopying. And we certainly couldn't afford people to fly for us. We had to do it ourselves. And so we helped each other out as fellow countrymen would. That's great. So I'm doing the flyering for um, both those shows. They're helping out with me doing my flyering. I used Brett as my technician. So I did a one-man show with stand-up. I didn't quite have an hour. So um, I decided to have an intermission in my show, which wasn't really done before, especially when you're only doing an hour show. You know, <laughs> I had a 15 minute intermission, guys, in the middle. And that's a real risk because you could lose your audience there. <laughs> Although in Edinburgh, you could position it as a whiskey break or something like that. 100%. Yeah. And in fact, what I did position it as was a biscuit break. So you're going to get awesome. confused about the word biscuits now. But basically, it was such a tiny stage. We were in Cave Three, which was. The smallest of the three caves and this is in an area in edinburgh which edinburgh is basically such a gothic looking town with many roads and cobbled streets that 
curve under each other and like being in some sort of Charles Dickens novel, especially in the evenings with the little lamps going and it's got such a cool dark energy to it that just mystifies the whole place. So I am there in this tiny cave with, let's say, maybe double figures in the audience if I'm lucky. So let's say 12, 13 people in the audience. It can seat up to 30, this room, I think. So, you know, the uh, sellout would be 30 people, which would be amazing. <laughs> I think I got there in the end. And then uh, Brent, who was doing my lights. Now, obviously, a stand-up show, so not too technical. So he's at the back. I can see him when he's at the back. He's only about two meters away. I can see. <laughs> and he's giving me the thumbs up and I come from behind this curtain and I'm out on stage, which is a very small stage, about the size of a desk. And then I'm doing my routine, my doing my little jokes. And then there's an intermission and I say, all right, we're going to have a little break now. And uh, while we're doing that, Brett's going to hand out some biscuits. I'll see you after the break. And then I go behind the curtain and I just sit there and I can... Yeah, everything that's going on. Brett's now walking down the aisle, handing out a packet of biscuits or cookies, as you would call them. And they're really nice ones. A lot of my budget went into these biscuits. <laughs> you got to keep people happy. And they're having a, a lovely time eating these biscuits right out of the packet. And he would go around and just say, what's your favorite part so far from the show? And he'd do a little interview. And, and I'm sitting behind the curtain listening just so I can get some sort of... Um, info on what things are working he'd go is there any parts that you felt weren't doing so well as a <laughs> it's like a focus group in the theater nice. there. it's a focus group yeah in, in the intermission and they must be able to tell i'm literally just behind a curtain sitting there listening but i think out of sight out of mind comes into play there hopefully and the intermission is finished Brett just yells it from the back. Okay, we're ready to go. It gives me the thumbs up. <laughs> and then I say, please welcome back on stage. The man you've all been waiting for. <laughs> and then I come back and I go, oh, how was your break? And then I would spend another five minutes just sort of going over. Oh, did you guys have a chat? I mean, I wasn't listening or anything. I heard some people laughing and stuff. He had a good time. Anyone managed to get to the toilet and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd go on with the show. Excellent. Those were the days, man. I mean, God. Sorry, so this, I do ramble on, by the way, so you're going to have to interject and remind me what I was talking about. We're talking about how you got to the Concords. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I, here's me thinking this podcast was all about me. <laughs> the Concords, yes, of course, those guys. Uh, so then they were doing their show. They did a show in Cave 3, which was a bigger show, a bigger cave, I was supposed to say then. They quickly became the show everyone would go to because it was later at night. So it was like at 10.20 or something like that. But it became the hit show for the artists as well. So the best comics were on at like, you know, eight o'clock at night. Their shows would be over by 10 and they'd run to get to the Concords. So it's like that show that everyone wants to get to at the end of the night because it's just hilarious and it's music for an hour and it's really, really cool sold out most nights you'd have to try and use your passes to get in as the comedians went oh i'm part of the festival can i just sit at the back or whatever or stand and so they became one of the hits of the festival and they were approached by a guy from the bbc will saunders is his name and he said to them hey i'd love for you guys to do a pilot for the bbc if you're interested and of course Jermaine was like, yeah, absolutely, would love to. You know, this is an in for sure. When should we do this? And he said, well, we can just do it anytime. I've got my mini disc player here. 
and I'm just going to record you guys. We'll make a pilot. And they're like, oh, okay, well, just make something up. And they're like, yeah, have you got any ideas? And Jermaine's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can do that. And next thing I know, he's contacting me and I'm sort of on the street flyering for the naked Samoans or something. <laughs> and he says, hey, Reese, I've been approached by the BBC. Would you be interested in playing the role of our band manager to make a pilot? And I'm like, I never really know what a band manager was, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> I put two and two together, and I think that's probably the key to the success of the character. I put band and manager and thought, right, I know what a manager is, because I've had a few managers in my life working at the barbecue factory, and also <laughs> my mum was the manager of my soccer team when I was nine years old, and I actually won sportsman of the year when she was managing the team. Ah. So I know what a manager does. I know how many strings they can pull. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll play the part of that. When's this happening? And he said, tomorrow. So I, uh, <laughs> this is all very, very fast. Um, but yeah, the BBC works fast. You know, we're in the festival. We're going to leave the festival, go back to our countries. So they want to get something happening. The iron is hot. The BBC is ready to strike. So um, it happens. I turn up to the apartment they're staying in the next day. And we're sitting in the kitchen. It's a kitchenette. Let's be honest. It's a tiny apartment. <laughs> it's like a bar area, but it's also where the oven is. And I think the pantry's right next to it. It's like you could barely fit three people there, but we're sitting around it on stools. I feel like I'm there. You've really painted yeah. a picture there. It's yeah. white. Yeah. Can yeah. you see it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can. Will is there off to the side and he puts his mini disc player on the Formica <laughs> top of the kitchenette and he says okay away you go guys and uh <laughs> Jermaine says well we start with a band meeting and I don't know how much prep we did for this it feels like I just walked into the apartment and we just pushed record to be honest with you <laughs> we certainly didn't have a, a pre-meeting not that I can remember the three of us about what I was supposed to do but I think it was just basically okay we're just gonna make this up you're the manager based on our manager that felt like he was really out of his depth. <laughs> but <laughs> that was the notes I had. And I said, well, okay, well, I can easily fit that mold. <laughs> and so I just kicked the meeting off with a roll call. Um, I don't know why. I just thought that seems to be the right way to start it. I think I was taken back to school and also back to maybe my soccer team. I remember there being a, a roll call on that, which was odd because you could just count to see whether there was 11 kids. So you improvised the roll call, which is probably my favorite thing on the Concords. And when you say present. <laughs> present. That should be on every t-shirt. That is a good one. Well, Reese, if you'll indulge me, I don't get that many opportunities to talk about the Chills tour, and this is high context with you. Yeah. So that tour was loaded with Spinal Tap moments. It was a very difficult tour. They came over, I think they had their second record on Warner Brothers. The first record, Submarine Bells, had gotten highly critically acclaimed. I remember seeing Peter Buck from REM on MTV. Peter Buck was the guest VJ, and he was talking about the chills, and I saw that before the tour, so there was a lot of anticipation, from certain people anyway, about the chills coming back. You know, at that point, 
Martin Phillips had kind of a band of hired guns. He was the only original member of the band. And there were some Kiwis involved and some Americans and others. But one of the interesting things was one of the managers was Madonna's sister, Melanie Ciccone. And I remember a live performance on the Warner Brothers lot in LA. Rick Rubin was there because we were playing a show with the Jayhawks that were on American Records. He had his Rolls-Royce parked curbside, I remember, and uh, was walking around. Nice. And there'd been some kerfuffle between the Jayhawks and the Chills where we thought we'd be able to borrow some equipment and that didn't work out. It was a very stressful situation. And I remember being backstage between the shows, I was feeling so much stress. I was almost paralyzed. It was a very odd feeling. I tour managed a couple of tours at that point, and I felt like I could handle myself pretty well, but I just felt frozen. And Melanie looked at me and she's like, are you okay? <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was kind of at a loss. And it sort of made me think of your being backstage behind that curtain at the Edinburgh Festival where you could hear what was going on. Yeah. And I sort of thought to myself, if that would have been me, if I could have actually stepped away and what people would have been saying about me, like going like, what the hell happened to Alex here? Wait, wait, this is the guy we hired to take this band cross country. Can we change horses before they leave town? Man, that's, it's a weird position to be in. How do you deal with that? You've just got to be confident. Yeah. Well, that's the key. Have you had an experience on stage where your mind went blank? Yeah, many times as a stand up, and certainly in more recent years as I've got older, the mind suddenly shutting down completely is, uh, you know, is, is, Almost happening right now. <laughs> but it's only happened a couple of times back in the old stand-up days when I was doing it way more regular because you've got something that you're going to go to, you can't think of what it is that's next in your little lineup of your set list, unlike bands where they've got it written down in front of them and then there's like three or four or five of you that you can just look at each other and someone will go, yeah, we're playing uh, such and such next, come on. <laughs> For me, I'm looking around, I've got no one and I think I have done this on occasion. Uh, James is normally my tour manager and does my technical stuff during the show. He will sometimes yell out what the next thing is. That's great. But that only works if he's either got a mic or in such a small room that it's not a problem. And that really isn't the case these days. But when you watch a comic and they'll be going really well and then there'll be a moment of that comedian sort of going, so... Uh, <laughs> you can tell that they're really trying to recall what's next on their set list or where they're going to go next. And they'll say things like, you having a good time? Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic. I'm giving away the secrets now, but I'm, woo, a lot of that, a lot of- That's when you're flummoxed. Yeah. And they'll walk over and have a drink of water. There's all sorts of things you can do. And they play with the mic cord. If you've got the skills to do sound effects like I have, if you can't think of what you're going to talk about next- you can just do some helicopter coming in off the horizon. That kind of thing. Wow. And I'll say, well, here's my next set of jokes just coming in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is that where you did your swing ball routine? Because I'd never heard of swing ball until you told me about it. No, that was during my uh, experimental phase, Alan. <laughs> I started getting into Andy Kaufman and I wanted to do interesting stuff on stage. And also because I'm not great at writing jokes. 
I know I'm a funny person, so I need to be on stage doing something. I like physical comedy. And so I thought, let's get someone from the audience to join me on stage and I'll play swing ball, which in your country is called tether ball. Mm-hmm. So you've got a pole and there's a piece of rope attached to it and there's a small tennis ball attached to that. And you've got two bats and you just play against each other. Now that can go on for, you know, 15 minutes. That's my whole set. But here's the clincher. I didn't have the pole or the string or the ball. So that would all have to be mimed. But I did bring the bats. So I would <laughs> I'd give a bat to an audience member and then I would do all the sound effects. So and that'd swing. And I'd be swinging at nothing. And if I didn't want them to hit the ball, I wouldn't make the noise. I'd go and go, oh, you missed that one. And then I'd get it. And, and I'd get frustrated. And I'd start off would be normal, you know, hitting maybe a minute in they'd start missing and they'd get confused as to why they're missing because they're just hitting. And I'm, I'm like, no, you missed it. And I'd hit it harder and then I'd swing it straight around like real fast. I was trying to hit it and they're not getting it because they're not hearing my sound. So I was oh, and I'd do it. Oh, you, you're, not, you're not good at this, are you? And they'd get really angry. And in the end, you know, quite often they'd just get really angry with me and then it would turn into like a fight between me and the audience person and then I'd get rid of them. But people wanted to be... <laughs> part of the sketch right and so once when i was in ashburton i organized like a wrestling match on stage because there was two girls that wanted to be my swing ball partner so i got them to wrestle it out that's where the sort of andy kaufman thing comes in right so i'm like what am i doing i wouldn't be able to do it these days but i'm orchestrating a wrestling match on stage (laughs) and the winner gets to play swing ball with me and also lose (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow oh, those were the days that's yeah, awesome indeed. it all went well everyone loved it don't worry yeah once there was a band that opened for us and the band mimed all their instruments so they had a track and they played like off a cd and they're on stage and they had the instruments but they just pretended to strum them <laughs> they were called millie vanilli was that the yeah. name of the band <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know what? I'm going to say they didn't even have instruments. This sounds like one of my acts. Or they had cardboard ones Mm. that they opened for us. That was a wild night. Reese, I don't know if you're aware, but you are partially responsible for one of my goofiest Spinal Tap moments in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah? So every year at the DGA, there are these events where Oscar nominees go to promote their projects and participate in a Q&A. So I went in like 2017 or 2018, and I saw your friend, director Taika Waititi, in a Q&A for Thor Ragnarok, which he directed and he was hysterically funny by far the funniest person there so after he leaves stage he goes into the green room and i'm in there with my wife lois and we for some reason wave to him like idiots (laughs) and he thinks oh look at these smiling people waving at me i must know them so he he comes up to us and we start chatting and he soon realizes he doesn't know us but you know i know you and we talked about you a little bit 
And then we talked about Thor Ragnarok, and uh, he left. And it was a perfectly pleasant, nice little conversation. Uh, he also was drunk, but that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway, about 15 minutes later, Taika walks past me and taps me on the shoulder and keeps going. And it was kind of strange. And Lois goes, I think he wants you to follow him. And I'm like, no, really? She goes, yeah. So I listen to my wife. I followed Taika to this little area in the back where you could smoke. And suddenly I find myself standing next to Taika, Allison Janney, Jeremy Renner, and Margot Robbie. And so I quickly realize I really have no business being in this group. But I smile, and they chit-chat, and then I decide to say something to Jeremy Renner, and he's a dick to me, and I realize, time to go. So I slowly but surely inch my way back until I'm out of this paparazzi nightmare. Wow. Wait, so he wanted you to follow him, and then you did, and then no one spoke to you? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no he didn't one... speak to you. Why was he getting you to follow him? I have no idea. No, I would have. No, I think you read that wrong. He, he quite often just taps people on the shoulder just to reassure them that they've been noticed. Shit! Don't follow him when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very painful lesson in Hollywood. Um, okay, so we want to ask you one more question, and this is really to wrap it up. In the movie, this is Spinal Tap. Do you mm -hmm. remember what your favorite scene is? That's so hard because. Who has one favorite scene from that movie? And I'm sure people have told you this before. There's just so many little bits and pieces. I like details. I like tiny things. Well, on that note, obviously the Stonehenge being tiny was a big one for me. The moment when it's lowered onto the stage is huge, ironically. <laughs> and uh, the line where they say there was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf <laughs> is funny. But there's so many brilliant, funny improvised lines a lot coming from Christopher Guest it's just magical and it's a huge influence on myself and the Concords and then making that show. Was there any scene that you can remember that really was specifically influenced by Spinal Tap like something you said that was a really Spinal Tap thing we just did? So much of the radio show there's a moment where we're at the Tower of London and Brett wants to buy something from the gift shop <laughs> And he gets a bow and arrow, right? And then shoots it in the air. And it stamps into either, was it him or Jermaine? One of them gets an arrow in the arm and then we've got to get him to the hospital. But we can't afford to get an ambulance or anything. So we go on the tube. So we're on the underground, you know, and it's just that moment added to moment of things that go wrong uh, that are ridiculously detailed. But you'd think there's an easy out. What I like to call it unnecessary comedy. You know, that movie is full of that. And then scenes like the one I just told you is definitely one of those moments where you've got a plot, you've got to get somewhere in the episode, but the thing that derails you is often the most funniest thing that's just absolutely got nothing to do with the storyline, but it leads somewhere. And you keep thinking to yourself, you've made the wrong decisions here. You've done that wrong. And you're detailing too much information about this event. And that's what makes me crack up the most. How can our listeners find out more about you, what you're up to, that kind of thing on the socials or elsewhere? So I'm definitely on the socials. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter. It's Reese R-H-Y-S, the Welsh spelling with an I-E. Yeah, or it's actually it's called X now, isn't it? 
Instagram, obviously, same thing, Reese. And my TikToks are really worth it. Nice. There's a fun TikTok thing I do called, um, uh, what's it called? Give us a sound effect. <laughs> Hang on. This is, it's coming in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just, I've just, okay. It's been lowered to me. Here it is. Um, <laughs> called wonderful and weird and basically it's these moments i take people into the inside of my madness if you will and things i collect or things i'm into little hobbies and stuff like that behind the scenes stuff of reese darby it's darby's wonderful and weird with reese darby that's basically the the theme song the theme tune for it so you check those out and uh when i'm on the road i'll be doing some more tiktoks we really enjoyed this. Reese, I'm so happy that we have reunited because it's been a long time since we saw each other. Yeah. Always fun. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Reese. That was fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Reese Darby for giving us all a masterclass in how to build a successful career out of being scrappy and treading that line between stupid and clever. Listeners, go to tmepshow.com to download your diploma. I also appreciate the helpful how-to on what to do when you experience a mental freeze. Just start making weird noises. More news you can use, courtesy of your favorite podcast. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. Our editor is Gretchen Kilby. Our music composer is J.K. Harrison. Please follow us on Instagram at TMEP Show and find our other episodes with rock stars and entertainers being stupid and clever with us wherever you listen to podcasts. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap, and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Evergreen Podcast Network.